This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. Today, we're discussing the life and times of Tom Brown. As a respected former federal prosecutor, Tom joined GRGB in 1978 and, of course, eventually became one of the named partners of the firm. Tom's federal experience has given him the tools necessary to build a highly successful white-collar criminal defense practice. He has an equally thriving practice representing individuals and businesses in a wide variety of civil areas, including almost 20 years defending manufacturers against product liability claims. At the heart of his client-attorney relationship is an ardent belief that a reputation must be earned and not simply bestowed. He has been recognized as one of the best lawyers in America by a national publication and is a fellow of the American College of Trial Lawyers, which is an honor bestowed upon less than 5% of the trial lawyers in the United States. You'll hear me get a little bit emotional about this later on, but Tom is someone that I truly admire so much. You won't find Tom bragging about wins or boasting about his skills, but those of us that are lucky enough get to witness his talent in person. Tom Brown unplugged. (laughs) (laughs) I think a great place to start is, you know, it sounds cliche and like it's from The Sound of Music, but from the very beginning. Can we start with your military service? Sure. I, uh, I was uh, in law school when the Vietnam War was at its height, and uh, I was married and had mm-hmm. uh, one child and one child on the way, and they did away with uh, graduate school deferments and made me draft eligible. And so I and most or many of my classmates all of a sudden were, were uh, designated 1A and were told that between my first year and second year of law school, in all probability, I would be drafted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. I wanted to avoid interrupting my law school education if I could because um, I was in a hurry to get done. Yeah. And so, like a lot of my classmates, some of them went in the reserves and dropped out for a year and then came back. And I joined an ROTC unit. <coughs> excuse me, with a number of my classmates and wound up going into the army when I got done. Uh, I will tell you, uh, those of you who may be listening with military service, that I viewed it when I went in as a prison sentence that I was gonna have to serve Mm -hmm. and just do my time and get out. I was fortunate that I applied for the JAG Corps. I was gonna be a second lieutenant in the infantry, which was not a particularly good thing in the height of the Vietnam War. Right. Uh, But I applied for the JAG Corps, which was the lawyer's branch of the army, and I was fortunate enough to get in and um, wound up having a gigantically wonderful positive experience. Um, I was in for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned how to try cases. I learned far more trying cases in the Army than I ever learned in law school. And um, came out, came back to, to Milwaukee with a significant amount of experience that I would never have had but for my Army career. I mean, I tried a murder case seven months out of law school. And that is unheard of. <laughs> it is unheard of. Um, and, uh, so, and, and it was a great system. I mean, it was the federal rules of evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, court martials were essentially federal trials, which turned out to be good for me because I wound up working in the federal system. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, the war, there were a lot of lawyers who were draft eligible. And so as a result, um, they, were, they were pretty 
particular about the people that they picked. So I was in with some really talented, bright people. Mm-hmm. How I got in, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but um, but I but as a result, I mean, it, it was just a very very positive experience. It's one of those things where you just you never know. And uh, both my wife and I would tell you that it was a great experience for us as a family. It was a great mm-hmm. experience for me as a lawyer, and so forth. So that's how I started was in the military and. A lot of people, when I came back, viewed it as well. You, you know, we don't count that as all because you're in the army, and you know that that can't possibly have any real uh, benefit. And the real world is, it was probably the best background I could have had. You then went into federal prosecution, and I'd imagine that you were able to hit the ground running pretty quickly with that. I was. I, I fortunately, it, uh, I, I, when I first came back, I went to work for the public defender's office. Uh, I basically looked at three things. I looked at the public defender's office, the DA's office, and the U.S. Attorney's office. And the first people who offered me a job was public defender, and I worked there. But I was only there a short time, four months, and I was offered a job in the U.S. Attorney's office, which is a dream job for mm-hmm. young lawyers, in my opinion. Uh, and I think a significant, I mean, I, I had the recommendation of a pretty well-respected lawyer named Frank Gimble, uh, who to, <laughs> I've the, heard of him. <laughs> to, the, uh, to the then U.S. Attorney um, and uh, Bill Mulligan. But uh, he, I, I, I know Bill hired me because he knew I was going to hit the ground running, that I could mm-hmm. try cases right off the bat, and that I had a lot of experience in that, so that worked out well. I've heard a lot of people say that the best defense attorneys at one point were prosecutors, and the best prosecutors at one point were defense attorneys. Do you think your four-month stint with the public defender helped you when you went into prosecution? Well, I don't know about my four-month stint in the public defender's office. Um, That's really a short period of time. I don't remember. I think I had three or four jury trials in that period of time. But when I went in the Army, I did both. I did prosecution and I did defense. Uh, At that time, they've since split it. And when you go in as a JAG officer, you go in either as a defense lawyer or as a prosecutor. But when I was in, you did both. And what I think that does for you, and of course I'm biased because I have that background, I understand that, but uh, I, what, I, what it does for you is, is that you, in my view, when you go in to try a case, uh, one of the advantages is trying to figure out what your opponent is likely to do and, and to try to figure out how you're going to be able to rebut that or, or deal with that issue. And obviously if you've sat in that chair, um, it's helpful in terms mm-hmm. of, of trying to figure out how you're going to respond to that, whether you're prosecuting and you've got defense experience, or whether you're defending and you've got prosecution experience. The other thing I, I will very candidly admit to you is that, and, and I used to get made fun of in the federal building because I would always work into my trials the fact that I'd been a federal prosecutor. And, mm-hmm. I, and I did that because, uh, and I'll talk about that later, but I think the credibility of a lawyer on a variety of levels is is essential mm-hmm. and I think that jurors look upon a person who's been a prosecutor and who has represented the federal government uh, with a little bit keener of an eye saying well this is a person that that uh, that understands the system and we can maybe trust what they have to say so I mm-hmm. always worked it in that at some point in time I've been a prosecutor whether that was fair or not I always did it well I think that there is you know based on things that I don't believe and TV representations, you know, there's a public perception of defense attorneys out there, and I think anything to bolster that credibility is something you have to use. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, what, I, what I'm told, I do a little bit of teaching to, mm-hmm. to lawyers, as people may understand or know, that we have a continuing legal education obligation when you're a lawyer in the state of Wisconsin, in most states, I think all states. 
where they have to continue their education, and I do a lot of teaching in that, and most of that teaching is, is around trial work. Mm -hmm. And what I try, the message that I give to people is that you have to maintain your credibility in the courtroom, and that means you've got to make sure that that jury looks at you and, and begins to trust what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And there's no question that when, you, when, the, when the bell rings and the trial starts, they're looking at the defense table with a, with a jaundiced eye, you know, the, the, yeah. the, it, it, practically speaking, they're saying to themselves, I think most people say to themselves, look, the defendant wouldn't be here if the prosecutor didn't think they were guilty, if the, mm -hmm. if the cops didn't think he was guilty, if, if, even though it's not fair, if the judge didn't think they were guilty. Right. So they're probably guilty, and you've got to deal with that head mm -hmm. on. And, and one of the ways that you deal with that is that you always make sure that when you say something, it turns out to be accurate to that jury. If you ever uh, do something that the jury believes you're misleading them, mm -hmm. you've lost your credibility. And if you lose your credibility, when you get up at the end of the case and ask them to do what you want them to do, you know, it's a it's a Herculean task if you've lost right. your credibility. So I do think that, that uh, it, it helps uh, because we, you know, I've said many times, I grew up in the car business, and so I say it, you know, used car salesmen and defense lawyers are viewed on about the same level. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, but I think, you know, that the, when the trial starts and you start to interact with those people, people are fair. Agreed. Ultimately, people are fair. And, mm -hmm. and as they see you and your role in that courtroom, and then I, you know, you, you, you can pretty quickly change that perception. Do you think that the same applies to the prosecutor if something they say turns out not to be true, or do you think they give that the jury gives them a little bit more leeway? I don't think they give them ten cents more leeway. I think it's absolutely true, and okay. that's why, for instance, when a prosecutor gets up in in their opening statement, I take that's one of the areas where I really pay attention, and I mm -hmm. take copious notes because at the end of that case. I will remind that jury if that prosecutor didn't fulfill any of what that prosecutor predicted they were going to do, mm -hmm. um, because it does. Again, it goes to that credibility circumstance. So I do think it applies to prosecutors. I think it applies to judges. I think it applies to everybody. It certainly mm -hmm. applies to witnesses. Definitely applies to witnesses. And this is something that I'm not sure if you've run into it or not, but the mass that have been required in COVID have thrown off credibility quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm uh, semi-retired. Uh, I'm of counsel to the firm. I'm still doing practice and I'm still representing some clients. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I certainly don't get to the courtroom as much as I used to. And I, I would find it very difficult to practice during the, the height, at least of the COVID, all of this Zoom meeting things and mm -hmm. so forth. I have often said as I prepared witnesses for trial and for testifying, that not only what you say, but how you present yourself and how you say it is critical to the jury in deciding credibility. That may not even be fair. I mean, if somebody mm -hmm. is soft-spoken, that can come across as not sure of themselves. And, it, and it's not fair because they're just a soft-spoken person. Right. And there's things you can do to help with respect to that. But, I, but, but covering up your face, um, from my perspective, is... is uh, you know, it is a very difficult circumstance because it takes away uh, a significant part of, of, in my view, of a jury or juror's evaluation of the party. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, jump back to your days as a federal prosecutor. What made you ultimately change your mind and decide to go private? 
economics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was a federal prosecutor back in the uh, 70s, um, he, the, the, the salary was uh, okay. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was certainly competitive with the, what the state courts were paying to prosecutors and so forth. But it would be difficult to raise a family of three and to be able to support your children to go to college mm -hmm. uh, on what a prosecutor was making. And so it was relatively common and it was kind of expected that you put some time in, in the prosecutor's office and hopefully if you were successful and you again developed a reputation in the, in the legal community, it would lead to employment opportunities. And so when I went in, I never anticipated making um, the prosecution of, of cases in the federal court system my career. Mm -hmm. That has changed. It, yeah. is, it is different now. I mean, my, my daughter is a federal prosecutor and has been there now nine years. Mm -hmm. And she'll she'll be there for a career, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and because now, you, you know, you, you're certainly not going to become independently wealthy if you are a federal prosecutor, but you can raise a family comfortably and you have a very competitive salary. And of course, the other benefits in terms of health insurance and vacation, all those kinds of things mm -hmm. are great. And it's the greatest job in the world. I mean, I say that many times, but the fact is that when you're a federal prosecutor, you have enormous resources mm -hmm. at, your, at your beck and call. If you've got a witness on the stand that says something happened in Miami six months ago, and you are concerned about whether that's true or not true, you get on the phone and have FBI agents out pounding the streets in Miami in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so it, you have terrific, um, terrific resources available to you. You can pick and choose your cases. Mm -hmm. You're generally dealing only with cases that have some substance, by and large, in my view, and I know I'm biased, but in <laughs> my view, um, you know, the, the level of the lawyers that practice in federal court is somewhat a cut above of, of the general practice because a lot of people, because they don't have experience in federal court, mm -hmm. have a fear of federal court. They don't go there. Right. And so, um, so you've got quality, quality, generally quality people that are practicing there. Uh, and the pace is so much different. I mean, when it's your turn to try a case in federal court, you try the case. Mm -hmm. In state court, the judge is trying to manipulate a calendar and the whole right. time that you're trying the case. And half the time, you, you get a half a day in trial. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the judge has, has you know two law clerks who are very bright people right. well, and that are, are available and can carefully consider the issues that come up in the, in the, the, uh, the motions that are, that are mm -hmm. uh, filed and so forth. So it's just, it, in my view, it's a great place to practice. And if, if the economics had been the way they are now, when I was there, I might very well not have left. Although the firm that had me and then winded and died me and hired me would have been pretty hard to turn down. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I might be biased, but I'm very glad that you did not stay there for your entire career. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because I, I was looking, uh, after about three years, I was looking around and I almost took a job, I won't say where, but at a large firm in Milwaukee. Um, in fact, I had filled all the paperwork for the health insurance mm -hmm. and everything else, and I got a call from Frank Kimball who I had clerked for when I was in law school and who I knew very well and who I admired and respected and he said, we'd like you to come here. And it, 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 the, 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 there's not a better job I could have had mm -hmm. in the world. And there's, uh, I was just so, so thrilled uh, to come to what was then uh, Gimble, Gimble and Riley. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, it, and it, so it, was, it, it, it couldn't have turned out better. It, you know, it's, it's funny, life is funny. Um, I thought my, my time in the military was gonna be um, you know, a, a, a difficult period of time in terms of being wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a great experience prosecuting cases in the U.S. Attorney's Office, worked with great people, tried some wonderful cases. Uh, 
um, and then I got, in my view, the dream job. So I've been very, and, and all of it really was more good fortune than the other. So I've been very lucky. Well, I don't know if it's good fortune, Tom. I'll say it even though you won't. You are an incredible attorney. You're someone that I look up to tremendously, and I know that you're too humble to to say that, but I'll brag for you. Well, thank you. That's it's always nice to hear. It's always nice to hear. <laughs> so you eventually come over, and you know it was Gimble, Gimble, and Riley at the time. I would imagine over the past forty years, things have changed quite a bit. Things have changed unbelievably. Uh, when I first came to the firm, first of all, we were pretty much. A criminal law firm mm -hmm. and we were pretty much a you walked in the door and you told us what your problem was and we said okay this is the fee that will charge you to handle your problem and then that was pretty much it mm -hmm. um, and f it, in, in all candor we prided ourselves on the ability that we go into court I could go in and try Frank's case on 10 minutes notice if mm -hmm. I had to and and likewise, Frank could go and try my case because we had a lot of experience in the courtroom and we knew what we were doing in the courtroom, et cetera. Those days are over mm -hmm. uh, for a whole variety of reasons. But, you know, now and nowadays, the, the law has become highly, highly specialized. Um, it's become far more complicated. Um, and, uh, and, and almost all cases now have to be, have to be uh, the economics of the case has to be driven based on the amount of time that's spent because it's so difficult to predict. Uh, how much time is going to be spent. And I, I'm not sure that that's not a better system anyway, quite frankly, that, that because I think it, it, it makes it easier for clients to make decisions um, and lawyers to do the right thing and so forth. But in any event, it's, it's certainly far, far different uh, mm -hmm. than, it, than it was. And the firm um, has become um, far different than it was in that um, there, there is a wide variety of legal expertise. Now, I know this is going to start to sound like a commercial, and, and I will apologize to everyone. But you all understand if you go to a blog on our website, yeah. it's probably going to be a commercial. But, but I, you know, I, I've often thought about, well, you know, how should people choose a lawyer? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a difficult thing. And, and again, I'm biased. Without a doubt, I'm biased. But I try to think about the fact that what if I had a close friend or relative in Kansas City? Mm -hmm and they had a problem that they had to deal with. And I don't happen to know any lawyers in Kansas City. That's a fact, I don't. <laughs> um, so what would I do? And, and how, would I, how would I have my friend or family member pick a lawyer? And I think certainly the first thing is the lawyer, without a question. I mean, you've got to look at the, at the lawyer, the background of the lawyer, and there's ways you can do that. Today on the internet, there's you know, obviously far more ways right. to do it than 20 years ago. Um, but but it's not just the lawyer you're picking, in my opinion. I think you're also picking the law firm. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, we all have areas that we're, that we're experts in. And oftentimes problems wind up mushrooming far beyond what the original problem was. So if you're, if you're charged in a criminal case, God forbid, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you may be a professional that's got licensing issues. Right. You may be a family member who's got family member or, or a spouse that's thinking about uh, a divorce. Mm -hmm. You may have economic issues with respect to whether or not the, you know you, you're going to have to look at bankruptcy or whatever. You may have, you certainly may have employment issues in terms mm -hmm. of what your employer is going to do during the course of the process of your defending these cases and so forth. And all of those areas require expertise. Now, if you if you're at a one-person law firm or a two-person mm -hmm. law firm that does nothing but criminal work. 
you know, those people can get on the phone and talk to people that they right. know and get, and get advice in those other areas and get you maybe to other people to handle those areas. But what's nice is if you've got a firm that they can go down the hallway mm -hmm. as opposed to getting on the phone and that they've got a partner or an associate that they know has that expertise and is dedicated to that client. And so I, I really think that, um, and again, I, I understand it's a bias, but I really <laughs> think that having the ability to walk down the hallway and talk about, well, you know, my business partners might throw me out. Well, we've got a business lawyer down the hallway that can right. talk to you about that. Um, I think that that's, that can be and should be at least, not the only, but a, an important factor in mm -hmm. deciding who you might want to represent you in a, in a very difficult issue. Oh, most definitely. I have clients and even friends that say, I've got this issue. I trust who you think is right. And 90% of the time, we have someone here that specializes in it. And that's a huge asset to have. It is. I mean, the, the, the firm, we, I used to say it was eclectic and, 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 and it, because it does have a variety of uh, expertise in, in different areas. I mean, we don't do some things, mm -hmm. but, it's, but it's, you know, it's fairly minimal. We do a, an awful lot. The firm does an awful lot and has, has expertise in a lot. You know, the, the, the problem with that is, as a law firm, is that it is much easier to have an image in the public that you are experts at something when mm -hmm. all you do is that thing. Mm -hmm. And so, like, for instance, advertising is a lot easier if you're a personal injury firm mm -hmm. and all you do is personal injury. Advertising can be very effective right. and, and, and understand that. Um, but the downside is if you're looking for, if, if you happen to have a problem that has multiple facets to it, you don't want to be, in my opinion, in a place that just has one expertise. And if you're also, by chance, looking for a potential relationship for a while. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to say, you know, if, if, if I have this kind of a problem in the future, you know, I'm gonna, if I'm going to just, you know, if I've got a real estate issue, I know mm -hmm. that there's somebody at this firm that handles real estate and I have a prior relationship with that firm. They know me, they trust me, I trust them. Uh, there's value to that. There's real value to that, in my opinion. And you know, Tom, you are one of the big reasons why we have many specialties because you got into the products liability. I did, and that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting story. I, The first 10 years of my private practice, I probably did 95% criminal work, and probably mm -hmm. the vast majority of that was in federal court. But I did try in Green Bay, Wisconsin, a very, very difficult, very ugly factual situation mm -hmm. murder case. Um, to, it just, it's probably the worst facts I've ever been involved with. I defended a guy that, that, that was in a motorcycle gang in Green Bay, mm -hmm. and the gang was involved in a very vicious sexual assault and killing of, of a woman. And I tried the case, and it was one of those cases where once the complaint was read, the jury looked at you and said, how could you even sit next to that person? Yeah. You know? And so this business about credibility and, and, and trying to present to them, yourself to the jury in a way that, that, that they at least like you because right. it helps in, in terms of your representation of the client if that's the case. That was a, a difficult task. That that case happened to be um, uh, televised on the local channel, okay. the local uh, public television channel in Green Bay, gavel to gavel, the whole case. And the president of a company up there was tired of paying lots of insurance for products liability and decided he wanted to go self-insured. And about three weeks after the trial, 
he called me and he said, I would like to talk to you about the possibility of representing our company in products liability. And I said, well, I know that products liability has something to do with products and with liability, <laughs> but that's about as much as I know. And so why are you calling me? And he said, because I saw you in the courtroom and I, I, I really was impressed with your people skills and I think we want a long-term relationship. We want somebody that can understand the products that we make. They made huge equipment for the paper industry. And we want somebody that we have a long-term relationship. We, we frankly also want, we don't want to be in a big firm. We want to be in a firm where we have, where we're not the little fish in the big pond. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed with them. I wound up taking them on as a client. I learned a lot about products liability. I wound up representing them all over the country. Uh, and so you never know. It's, a, it's you know, but I do, I will say this. I, I, I could never have done that. Mm -hmm. Going back again to the, uh, to the, uh, the, the assets of the law firm. I could never have done that without... The, the support of the, the, the other lawyers in this law firm. Mm -hmm. I had the people like Kathy Keppel, one of my partners, that, uh, who, who were able to, uh, to, to do the legal research and mm -hmm. teach me about the law of products liability. And, and of course, I was trying try cases around the state, even though it was in federal court, that oftentimes it's state law that, that uh, in, in a given area that, that controls. And so you're learning about the law in, in Pennsylvania and the mm -hmm. law in New York and the law in California. And, and I had neither the time nor the talent to do all of that, but I had resources at this firm that, as I used to say, could make me look smart when I walked in the courtroom. And I couldn't have done it. I could never have undertaken mm -hmm. that kind of a transformation without that kind of support. And I think that, you know, you talking about your experience, that is one thing that has stayed very consistent throughout the firm is people are encouraged to learn new things and to explore new areas. And I know, personally, if I go to a partner and say, hey, I've gotten a couple cases in this area, I'm really interested. They're on board, they 100% back me and they say, go for it, start exploring. And I think that that is incredible. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, and from the standpoint of being a lawyer at a law firm, I mean, if this were a podcast for people saying, should I go to work with Gil O'Reilly or Brown, I guess <laughs> that, that's, that's a factor. Uh, but, it, but it's also, I think, a, a factor for clients because mm -hmm. again, <clears throat> you can get comfortable, you know, and I, I will tell you, this is a confession. Um, <laughs> if you were to talk to my wife, she would tell you that before I go to court in the morning when I'm trying a case, I'm on the verge of throwing up. Yeah. I am nervous. I am um, uh, tense. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. I walk in that courtroom, and I, I've had people tell me, "You look so relaxed. You look so confident. You look so you know." And uh, you know, it, and, and so as a practical matter, I, I think that um, you, you don't want to just do what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's more comfortable to settle a case than to try the case. Right. Part of credibility that I've talked about is, and, and I think it's one of these people, again, can use when they're looking at making a decision about a law firm is, how many cases have they actually tried? Because mm -hmm. I will tell you right now, if you're in the product liability or the personal injury uh, area of law, Insurance companies know the lawyers and the law firms that try cases, mm -hmm. and they know the lawyers that just settle cases. Mm -hmm. And you will get far better offers in settlement <clears throat> it, if you're at a firm that is a reputation and tries cases. So one of the things you need to do, and, and you can do it on the internet these days, is you need to look to see how many cases are actually being tried. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's oftentimes, you know, it's less... Um, it, it, it's it's less demanding to settle a case than it is to try a case. Now, I, I, I you know I'm a little bit of a phony on that in that I still love trying cases, 
Uh, and you obviously have to do what's best for the client. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes people just don't want to be in a courtroom. You know, although there's mm -hmm. a lot of things you can do to help people in that experience. And I, I'm a firm believer that, that that's a, also a, a skill set that lawyers need to develop, and that is how to help a client or a witness deal with the, the business of being in a courtroom. But oftentimes it's in the best interest of the client to try that case. And, mm -hmm. and while ultimately that decision is always the client's, your obligation as a lawyer is to make sure that client has all of the facts available so that when they make the decision, they're making an intelligent decision and one that's in their best interest. Yeah. You mentioned that you are semi-retired. What's your favorite part about retirement? <laughs> uh, I, well, my favorite part of, about retirement is not having to deal with the administrative aspects of being a lawyer. <laughs> um, you know, I was a partner in this firm. Um, either, you know, a firm is a, is a business, and running a business, um, you know, is part of what you have to do to be to be a successful law firm. It was a part of it was a part of practicing law that I didn't enjoy at mm -hmm. all. Um, I was always a firm believer that if you just wind me up and put me in the courtroom, that's all I want to do. And if I don't have to deal with administrative aspects and personnel aspects and and uh, it, you know ins insurance applications mm -hmm. and all of the rest of the things that go into running a business, it would be far better for me. Um, you know, and so I don't miss the administrative aspects of it. Fortunately, I'm still in the email chain here. <laughs> and so I will see notices about partner meetings that are occurring and meetings that are occurring on various aspects of the administration of the law firm. And I don't want my name taken off the list because I want to feel good about not going to all of those meetings. <laughs> uh, well, I can say I always enjoy your reply-alls because you always have something funny to say about it. <laughs> I love that. It's time for the definition of the day. How do you feel about defining indictment? Well, uh, I, I feel fine about defining indictment. You know, an indictment, <laughs> uh, the, the grand jury system was developed um, and, and put into place by uh, our founding fathers and by the, the, uh, a number of other jurisprudence uh, areas around the world as a check against the power of the government, a check against the power of the king to just charge anybody that they wanted to charge. And so the theory was that you could, that any kind of, before you could be charged with a serious crime, it had to be presented to a grand jury, which is a group of citizens from the community that sit and listen to uh, uh, evidence presented by a prosecutor on whether or not a person should be charged with a crime. And when you look at it from that perspective, it sounds good. It mm -hmm. sounds like this is this shows that just because a prosecutor wants to charge you uh, doesn't mean you're going to get charged because there's this filter. Mm -hmm. it, it's a total fiction. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the entire process is controlled by the prosecution. The grand jury is used solely, in my opinion, and, and I understand that it's, it's, it's value, but it's used solely so that you can get subpoena power, you can you can you can make people appear. If somebody knocks in your door and they're an FBI agent and says, "I'd like to talk to you," you can say, "I, I don't want to talk to you," mm -hmm. but that agent has the ability to come back with a subpoena that says you have to come to court. Now, they come to the grand jury, and you know you still have rights in terms of Fifth Amendment rights and so forth, and you have a right to a lawyer, but you don't have a right to a lawyer in that room. Mm -hmm. And so, the indictment process is the prosecutor chooses what to put in front of that grand jury. They choose who's going to put it in front of that mm -hmm. grand jury, and they direct in the real world what's going to happen. 
and my partner Frank Gibble used to say, uh, when I was a federal prosecutor, I could indict a ham sandwich. <laughs> and I think there's truth to that. I yeah. think, you, you know, I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office for three and a half years. I probably, I probably presented 200 to 220 cases to a grand jury. I got an indictment, and whatever number I presented, that's how many indictments I got. And mm -hmm. that's nothing to be proud of. It's it's just a fact of life. So the indictment is gone, in my opinion. It's just a method by which you're charged with a crime. Right. It's that's all it is. Uh, it, it it really provides no safeguards at all uh, to individuals. And and I really, you know, I really think that the public should view the fact that simply because somebody's been indicted by a grand jury. It really should not carry much weight in terms of whether or not that that was an appropriate decision. It is. It's just. It's no different than just being charged by a prosecutor in state court. Well, thank you, Tom, so much for taking some time to sit down with us. As always, with every conversation we had, I walk away feeling ten times smarter because I learned so much from you. And at the risk of getting emotional, you know, I truly look up to you, and I'm so grateful that you were willing to sit down and talk with me for a little bit. Well, thank you. That's one of the nicest things that somebody said to me in a long time. Thank you very much. Let's get to know GRGB legal assistant Bonnie Bile. Bonnie has been a legal assistant at this firm pretty much forever at this point. She is uber talented at what she does. She is a typist extraordinaire and we are so lucky to have her. One of Bonnie's favorite things to do, though, is to travel to Germany. All right, Bonnie, tell me about Germany. Germany? Yeah, you go there all the time. I love Germany. <laughs> what do you love about it? My favorite thing about Germany mm -hmm. is coffee and cake every day at 3 o'clock. I wouldn't hate that, I guess. It's <laughs> very awesome. And there's a really neat place where my friend lives. Um, it's beautiful. It's in gardens. It's kind of like our steins it's called daner okay. and they have animals like birds and frogs and that and you walk through the gardens and it's beautiful and yeah that's probably my favorite thing to do there and your friend lives there right yes one of my best friends from kindergarten actually she lives there what's she doing over there she met a guy from germany um here like 20 years ago mm -hmm. and they fell in love and he asked her to move there, and she said she would go for a year and try it, and mm -hmm. obviously ended up... It worked out. Loving it, yeah. And you go quite a bit. We are kind of on the every other year plan. Yeah. Pre-COVID, you know, where she would come here one mm -hmm. year, we would go there one year. I've taken my kids, um, you know, like one at a time as they got older, and now they go on their own, or they, they like to go to Oktoberfest. Well, I don't blame them. Quite often. So... <laughs> So yeah, that's awesome. And you bring back some special candies for us whenever yeah. you go. Nims by, they are so good. They are. They are. Starbucks or st not Starbucks. Star <laughs> Starburst on crack. Like I would just, agree. Yeah, yep, they're very good. They are very good. Well, thanks, Bonnie, for taking a couple minutes out of your day and telling us a little bit more about your travels. No problem. There you go. Great. Thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Zealous. This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. Tune in for our next episode where we talk with brand new GRGB attorney, Megan Drury. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.